I love to hike, and I always have. This is especially true if I'm hiking in the mountains. There's something absolutely wonderful about coming to a clearing or a crest and looking out over the expanse of God's creation. To see birds soaring above the trees and yet at eye level or even below where I'm standing is simply magnificent. Standing on a mountain and looking down humbles me by reminding me just how small I am in comparison with creation and just how much responsibility we each have to care for this fragile earth. Standing on a mountain brings new perspective and a much more expansive perspective, cleaner air, and the clarity that comes with the silence of being above all the noise and bustle of everyday life. Given the natural imagery that comes with mountains, it's no surprise that in our scriptures, we often find God manifesting God's self to people while those people are on mountains. God comes to Moses on a mountain to give him the Ten Commandments and to talk with him in general about the people. God also meets the prophet Elijah on a mountainside when Elijah is fleeing for his life. It's not accidental that these two figures, Moses and Elijah, commonly understood to represent the law and the prophets, appear on the mountain with Jesus during his transfiguration. The stories have parallels, and God speaking to these characters on mountains is only one of those. Because mountains signal both ascent as one climbs higher and higher and a sense of being above it all once one arrives at the top, they've often been understood as being places where people are closest to God. This view presupposes an understanding of God that is transcendent, meaning that God is somehow above and removed from common life here on earth. God sometimes comes down to check on things or to intervene in some way, but God is primarily understood as up there while we are down here. This understanding of God as transcendent is prevalent throughout the Old Testament, but it's not the only way to understand one's relationship with God or God's relationship with humanity. The other way to understand God is as imminent, right here with us, working in and through us in our everyday lives. We see this as God walks through the garden with Adam and Eve, as God talks with the myriad of patriarchs, matriarchs, and prophets throughout the Old Testament. But we find this most clearly exemplified in the person of Jesus, the incarnation of God living among us as a human being and sharing in all our experiences of life, from birth to death. What I find so wonderful about the story of the Transfiguration is that it combines these elements of transcendence and eminence into a perfect story. We are told that Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up on a high mountain by themselves. 
the clarification of high mountain and by themselves clue the astute reader that something very significant is about to happen. Sure enough, Jesus, their friend and leader, changes before the disciples' very eyes. His appearance alters in a way that can only be described as shining and dazzling white. He seems to radiate light. Then Moses and Elijah come to talk to him. But things don't even end there. A bright cloud overshadows them, and a voice booms, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The disciples fall on their faces in fear, but Jesus comes to them and gives them the same words that we hear over and over in Scripture. Do not be afraid. They look up, and it's over. Jesus stands before them alone, presumably looking normal again. Peter, James, and John have just witnessed, both visibly and audibly, the fullness of who Jesus is. He is both transcendence and eminence of God in one. He is their human friend who can somehow change appearance and talk with Moses and Elijah. They hear God name Jesus as God's son, the beloved. And in the silence that follows, they hear Jesus say, do not be afraid. They have been given unprecedented insight into who Jesus is. I've always wondered what the disciples must have been thinking once this transfiguration was over. Jesus tells them not to say anything about it until he's been raised from the dead, and I imagine them thinking, we couldn't say anything even if we wanted to. How would we describe this and who would believe us? What they have just experienced defies human language, a fact that is made clear by the beautiful imagery of this story, imagery that is clearly pointing beyond itself to the divine. But I also imagine the disciples having another takeaway from this experience. The one thing that the voice from the cloud clearly instructs them to do, and that is to listen to Jesus. I imagine that their desire to do exactly this was undeniably strengthened after this experience on the mountain, at least I hope so. The words that God speaks out of the cloud are very similar to the words that God spoke at Jesus' baptism. At the baptism, God said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. It was an affirmation of Jesus' identity and an introduction of him as God's Son to the world. We hear God's voice a second time, repeating the same thing at baptism, but adding further instructions to the disciples. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
Unlike God's introductory remarks at Jesus' baptism, the weight of God's imperative to listen to Jesus carries a deeper and more difficult message. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has just foretold his death, and he's been met with incredulity from the disciples, especially Peter. Jesus has begun warning them about what's to come, not only for himself, but for them also. The threat of physical danger was becoming real. We only have four chapters to go in the gospel before Jesus will be arrested. Placing the transfiguration within this larger context makes God's imperative even more profound and immediate. Listen to Jesus. He's trying to warn you about what's to come. Listen to him. You are running out of time to learn from him. Listen to him. You three have just witnessed him in his full glory. Do not forget who he is. Listen to him. Friends, as we approach Ash Wednesday this week and the beginning of Lent, I challenge us all to take the words of God's voice from the cloud to heart. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. We have the full picture that the disciples did not have. We know what's coming. Jesus' arrest, his painful crucifixion, and his glorious resurrection. We know about the persecution of his followers, the beginnings of the church, and the miracle of Pentecost. And because we know all of this, it can be easy to not take things one step at a time. It can be easy to brush past the darkness of Lent and rush towards Easter. But God calls us, as God called Peter, James, and John, to listen to Jesus. We are to listen to him as he calls us to account for our sins, individually and corporately. We're to listen to him challenge the political and religious structures of his time when they sought to do evil over good. We are to listen to him as he tells us of his impending death, and we are to listen as we tell the stories of his last week during Holy Week. We are to listen to him as he speaks into our own lives today, calling us to deeper relationship with him, whatever the cost. We are to listen to him. However you plan to mark this Lent, whatever fasts you have chosen to participate in or practices that you have chosen to take on, make sure that they include this important direction. Listen to Jesus. Amen.